we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Good morning, everybody. And we'll say welcome to those that are online. So thank you for joining us wherever you are in the world or right here in uh, our close-by neighborhoods. And I got to start by giving a shout-out to my dad, who I know is watching right now online, because tomorrow my dad turns 92. And I want to say happy birthday, Dad. Uh, I love you. A lot of people around here, too. And uh, tomorrow, I'll be there as soon as I can so we can break bread together this afternoon with us and the sisters, and we'll have a great time, okay? So I love you very much. And Oh, let me get this table over here, so if you'll kind of give me a little patience here. So if you're, if you're new here, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's hard to find a, find a church home, and the fact that, you know, you came here this morning, we're just so honored and humbled that, that you did. We have a gift for you. We'd like to say hello to you at a place called The Connection Point. Just a way of saying thank you for coming, uh, kind of exchange a name or so, get, get to know you, and we'll be out there uh, in the crossing. We'd love to connect with you. But I also want to say to those that call this your church home, it's good to see you too. <laughs> it's so good to see you week after week after week after week after week in your generosity and your offering and your giving of your time, your talent, and your service. You are really being used by God to help people have victory in so many different places. And uh, I, I celebrate and I give thanks to you. If you have your Bibles, you're going to find them. We're going to be in Second Samuel here in a little while, uh, but let's open up here with prayer. Uh, good morning, God. It is us again, your sons and your daughters, your children, and we're about to open up your word to ask you to shine the truth of your love and your grace into our lives. But before we do that, God, we pray again for a world that is in desperately need of Jesus. We pray for Ukraine and Russia that is desperately in need of the presence of Jesus. There are so many wars and battles all around the globe. Battles that have been caused by human sin, ego and power, destruction of others for the sake of our own prosperity and well-being, God. And God, it doesn't just happen in Ukraine it doesn't just happen in other places in the world, God. It happens in our own families. It happens in our own workplaces. And God, we see it happening in our own souls. So God, there are each of us here in this room, those that are online that can hear my voice right now, we declare we are needing some victories over some issues in our life. And again, we pray as you, we open your word that you would shine the light of your truth upon on the areas in our life where we need victory once and for all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Between now and Easter, we are going to be examining the reality of our spiritual condition. Mine, yours, all of ours. We're going to be doing this through a subject matter, a series we're calling Blind Spots. If you were here on Ask Wednesday, we introduced the concept of what a blind spot is, but here it is. It should be in your notes, whether in your written notes or in your app. Blind spots. It's where I'm unaware that my thoughts, behaviors, and emotional responses don't align with my faith, my values, and my beliefs. 
So I'm going to be asking you and asking myself, asking all of us, bridge, online, wherever you're worshiping, to do that. To invite God to shine a light of truth upon any area in your life where you might be blind to reality of what people experience when they experience you. Here's the truth about all of us. Most of us are blind to the reality that we suffer. We suffer from blind spots. Let me give you an example, and this is true of all of us. Let's say you're in a large group of people, and everybody is singing, but one person is singing off kilter. They're singing off key. Let's say you're in a large group of people, but one person has some irritating mannerisms. If somebody talks too much, if somebody is a name dropper, if somebody gets too close to you and invades what you call your personal space, if someone is emotionally needy and they're coming up to you and you know they're about to suck the very life out of you, If somebody has that sort of problem, who is the last one to know? You are the person who has the problem. Here's the blind spot. The blind spot is, the truth is, I don't know the truth about me. Other people know the truth about me. They know it about you. They talk about it when they go home. They pray about it. They post it online. They talk about your business. They know, they see the truth about you. And so often we're blind to it. When I was in seminary, one of my favorite things to do during the week, almost every week, was to go to this particular little restaurant I was one of my classmates to study and drink coffee, and, and I would study, and he would mostly drink coffee. And, and he liked waffles, and a lot of times he would, he would ask about having waffles. Almost every time he would ask for waffles. Uh, every time we had the same server, and every time he asked the same server, uh, do you have waffles? And every time she would say no. And he had no idea how irritating he was that he was just almost driving this table server to a nervous meltdown, just to a total breakdown. And one time, he asked her one time too many if they had waffles, and he said something like this. She said, listen, waffle boy, uh, we don't have waffles. We don't make waffles. We don't serve waffles. We don't have waffles on the menu. We didn't have them last week. We don't have them this week. We won't have them next week. We will never have waffles in this place. Here's the phone, the message for you. Wake up, waffle boy. Do you hear the message? Boy, did he get the message. <laughs> the truth about himself that he was blind to. Here's the number one blind spot of every human being on the face of the earth. You're blind to the truth about you. It's an enormous problem of the human condition. And wise people think about it and they understand it. Dostoevsky puts it this way. Wise man. Every man reminisces 
which he would not tell to everyone, but only to his friends. He has other matters in his mind which he would not reveal even to his friends, but only to himself, and that in secret. But there are other things which a man is afraid to tell even to himself. And every decent man has a number of such things stored away in his mind. Now, the Bible talks a lot about this problem. It talks a lot about the causes of this human condition. Now, you might be here this morning, and you're not even a Christian. You might not even sure if you believe in God. So you most certainly don't believe in this thing called the Bible. And I want you to know you're welcome here. You're always welcome here to wrestle, to, ch- to challenge, to question, to try to sort all of these things out. But even if you don't need, believe in the Bible or believe in God, I would encourage you to consider this is a universal truth of all humanity. We are blind to the truth about ourselves. No one is immune to this problem. No one escapes it. You are blind to what you do not know about you. And the Bible talks about it a lot. There's a particular story over here in 2 Samuel chapter 11, a very interesting story about a man named David. We know him as King David. David, powerful and wealthy, but did not know the truth about David. David, great wealth, much money, much wealth, many resources, many wives, saw the one wife of a poor man. And David used his wealth and his power and his influence to take the one wife, the only wife, this poor man had. And he took her because he could. He was powerful. He had influence. Her name was Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. She has a baby. And he uses all of his influence and all of his power to cover it up. Back in this day, in the ancient world, people who were powerful in positions of authority and politicians, they would use their wealth and power and influence to cover up their stuff. Aren't you glad that doesn't happen today? (laughs) And that's what David did. About a year passes, a baby's born. And in that year, David just keeps on keeping on. He keeps on writing psalms. He keeps on leading Israel. He keeps on leading worship as if nothing was wrong. As a man of honor and integrity. But about a year later, the word begins to creep and the prophet Nathan comes and has a conversation in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel with David. He says, David, I want to tell you a story. Hey, there were two men, one of them wealthy and powerful, much influence. He sees another guy, very poor, he only has one sheep. He takes that man's one sheep. He's got lots of sheep, 
This guy's got one. A traveler comes through town. David feels he has a responsibility to welcome and throw a party for this traveler. He has lots of sheep, but he slaughters the one little sheep that this man really prized, his favorite sheep, his only sheep, and he kills it and slaughters it to make it look like he did something grand and generous for the traveler who came through town with honor and dignity. David, what do you think about that? David didn't even see it. Everybody else knew. I promise you, most people know, even though you think they don't know, word like that gets out. And people are going, wow, 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 Nathan, what are you doing? What are you doing? You don't have to have a 4.0 or a 5 beta kappa uh, uh, to understand that he's trying to communicate a message to David Let me tell you, David, David, do you understand? David said, yeah. Yeah, I get it. I cannot believe that. Can you, can you believe that? And then now here in verse 5, it says, David burned with anger against that man. Interesting, the Bible says that David was sincere about his faith. He really cared about his relationship with God. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. And right here, here was David's heart. He burned with anger against that man. And then he says something. He says, as surely as, verse 5, as surely as the Lord lives. Really, David, you're going to swear on the name of the Lord as surely as the Lord lives. You're really going to do that, David? And here's what he says. That man must, what does it say? Die. Crickets. Everybody knew except David. And Nathan says, verse 7 Hey, David, you are the man. Do I have to draw a picture for you, David? Do I have to paint this any more clear than I can? Let me make sure you get this, David. Powerful, rich, wealthy man, lots of sheep. Poor man, only got one sheep. Wealthy, powerful man, takes that sheep because he could, crushes and destroys it, destroys that man, his family, his whole future, crushes it. Hey, waffle boy, it's you. Isn't it so interesting that you and I so often are truly blind, totally blind to the truth about you and me? And it's right in front of our eyes. Joseph Butler, some 300 years ago, preached a message on this, this exact same story. It's powerful language, kind of archaic, but some truths are so full. I want to put it up here on the screen. I'll read it to you very slowly. Try, try to, try, I'll read it slowly. Try to let this sink in. This is full of so much rich stuff. He says, there's not anything relating to men and character more surprising and unaccountable than this, partiality to themselves. Hence it is that many men seem perfect strangers to their own characters. Let that sink in. 
They think and reason and judge quite differently upon any matter relating to themselves from what they do in the case of others. Hence it is, one hears people exposing follies which they themselves are eminent for and talking with great severity against particular vices, which if all the world be not mistaken, they themselves are notoriously guilty of. Isn't it ironic that when we talk about self-deception and deception, we think we know so much about everybody else, about their life, about their world, about their problem, about those people, but we're totally blind to the stuff that's in here. Here's a question for you to ponder this week. Number two in your notes, has my knowledge of my inner world kept pace with my knowledge of my outer world? Has my knowledge of what's really going on in me, my character, who I am as a person, kept up with the great knowledge I have about everybody else? Here's what I know about a message like this, because it happens all the time. Someone's thinking, you've been thinking this right now. Somebody is thinking right now, online or in the house, you're thinking, man, Pat, this is a really good message. I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. (laughs) They really need to hear it. Because we automatically think somebody else is the one who has the problem. So in this series, we're going to examine layer by layer, kind of pull back deeper and deeper, a little bit each weekend, a little bit, the layers and layers of the deception and the self-deception that you and I engage in in our life. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. I want to say it again. Even if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, even if you're not sure if you believe what this Bible has to say, this is a problem and an issue worth considering. Because it's true. It's a fact of humanity. There was a man by the name of Tony Schwartz, a CEO of what's called the Energy Product, who wrote this article for the Huffington Post called the Our Infinite Capacity for Self-Deception. And here's what he does. He paints a picture in this article of a man by the name of Victor Crawford, who is a lobbyist for the smoke, for the tobacco industry, and his job was to crush any bill that prevented people from the freedom of smoking as much as they want, whatever they want, whenever they wanted. His whole wealth, all of his, his reputation was built on that doing that one thing. He was a lifelong smoker himself. At the age of 59, he gets lung cancer. The diagnosis is not good. He's going to die not too long afterwards. But before he dies, he makes this statement right here. In a way, I think I got my just desserts because in my heart, I knew better. You talk about a blind spot. Think about it. In my heart, I knew better. Now, deception is one thing. Self-deception is another thing. If I deceive you, I know something and you don't, and I keep it from you. I am deceiving you. But if I'm deceiving myself, 
I know something. You know where I'm going? I know something, but I refuse to tell myself and I refuse to deal with it. I deceive myself. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Crawford said this one of the statements later on in that very same article. He said, I rationalize and I justified because the money was so good. I compromised my body. I compromised my health. I compromised my integrity because the money was good. He deceived himself. Here's another question I want you to consider. Number three, am I quicker to pass judgment on or gossip about other people than I am to see and feel the painful truth about myself? Am I quicker to pass judgment on others than I am to see the painful truth about me? Interesting, Nathan and David. Nathan comes to David. David's sitting on the throne. Back in that day, if you were the king, you were not only the, the spiritual leader, you were the government leader. No separation of church and state. You were the judge. They would bring cases for you to pass judgment, uh, justice, jury, all that sentence. So he brings him like a case. Hey, here's the case. This man, wealthy man, poor man, crushes this guy, boom, What's wrong? David was able to see that with great objectivity from a distance. It was very clear, perfectly clear, this man was wrong. But he couldn't see up close what was going on in his own soul. Have you ever noticed that you and I have 20-20 vision when it comes to the faults and the flaws and the frailties in other people, but we have myopia when it comes to our own stuff? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about this a little bit on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, if you are, your eyes, you're blind. If you are blind to the truth about you, your whole body will be full of darkness. If in the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Here's a blind spot. Number four, I will find, this is scary. This is so scary. This is a true about human nature. I will find ways to prevent myself from knowing the truth about myself. Here's the awful thing. My sinful nature, my sinful nature will find ways to cover up my sinful nature. Let that sink in. That should scare the bejeebers out of you. Then all of a sudden you wind up in a spot and you go, how did I get here? Because you're not even willing to go inside and to wrestle to deal with the reality. See, you and I all suffer from something physically, physical vision, that we call presbyopia. Say that with me. Presbyopia. Interesting little word. That word is a word that when, as you age, like me, I've already been through this phase of life, 
your eyes begin to get hard. The lens on your eye get hard. They get stiff. They're not flexible. And when that happens, you can, you can, you can see things at a distance really well, but you can't see things up close. You can see things that are far away, but you cannot see what is right under your very nose. Interesting enough, that word that I just shared with you, presbyopia, comes from the Greek word where we get presbyterian. It's also the Greek word that where we get the word elder, and the end of that optikos is where we get the word vision. You and I get so used to not seeing the truth about us, we just accept it as normal. Such as right now in the very bottom of your message notes, and at the very bottom, whether it's digital or, or hard copy, there's a little something that says Pathway Cumberland Presbyopian Presbyopian Church. If you see, if you look at that and you see that and you just notice that, ah, oh, wow, I didn't even notice that. You're gonna think we're in a cult or something. We joined a cult. Or that somebody, somebody we gave up proofreading for Lent. We put it there for a purpose. That sometimes something can be right under your nose and you miss it. The Bible talks about this a lot. Over in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, we shared this on Ash Wednesday. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. There's that word deceive. Some of you circle that word, circle deceive. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I think it's fascinating. You and I carry around on the inside of us an inner picture of what we think we look like. Did you know that you did that? You walk around every day, you have an inner picture of how you think other people see you. But then you get up in the morning, and then you go and you look in the mirror. And there's the undeniable, unescapable truth, that is the reality of who you are. And it's not what you see on the inside, but it's what other people see on the outside. And I look and I see, here's the reality. I don't like it, but my skin is beginning to lose a little elasticity. I got a little extra hanging right there. Turn a little bit gray right there, and I see some other things that are happening. I'm not even going to tell you about you because you don't need to know. Okay, but I'm just saying, I don't like it. Any of you ever look in the mirror and you see something about yourself in the morning that you don't like? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. If you're a woman, you can do something about that, right? If you're a man, that's just how you're going to look all day long. I'm sorry. That's, man, there's nothing you can do. But that's just the way it is. But here's what, the, here's what James is saying. The Bible is like a mirror. And it will tell you the truth about you. You can't even know the truth, the real truth about you, without the indispensable presence of the Holy Spirit giving you what we call self-awareness. Self-awareness is so much more than you just being aware of yourself. It's not some psychological therapeutic thing. Self-awareness can only really happen when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and reveals to you things that you can't see. But everybody else can because they experience it in their lives through you. 
The Bible talks about this all the time, just the power of this. Over here in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Here's a little verse. It's kind of a hard verse, but it's a, hard, it's a good passage. Romans 12, 3. Verse 3. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Now, I want to show you how to change how you read the Bible. Instead of saying, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, I'm going to read it this way. For by the grace given me, I say to you, Rick. It's going to change it. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, I get it. You and I live in a therapeutic, feel-good society. We want to tell people stuff that makes them feel good and makes them feel happy. And you want to go to your therapist, go to your counselor, and I'm all for therapy. I'm all for counselor, okay? I'm all for, I believe in it. Some of the greatest people we have in this church are counselors and therapists. I talk to them, I learn from them and everything like that. But most of us, we want our therapists to say, hey, it's okay. It's going to be all right. Just hang in there. You know, you don't want your therapist saying, hey, listen, there's something inside of you that's just, you, you just, it's going to mess you up. It's messing up the people around you. Don't think more highly of yourself. You're not all that good. You fire that therapist. You don't want that therapist. But the Apostle Paul, as a gift of grace, the Scripture says, In fact, I want to make sure this point gets driven home and you really understand this, what the scripture has to say. I want you to turn to somebody around you and I want to give you, I want to give you some joy right now. I want you to look at him and go, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Turn him, turn, turn him, tell him. Come on, yeah, yeah. come on. You know you've been wanting to. You know, hey, don't you think of yourself more, wag that little finger, let him know. Yeah, some of you enjoy that too much. Yeah, yeah. Just make sure you receive it as much as you deliver it, Okay. And here's what I want you to know. In your notes, number five, here's a blind spot. Truth is not opposed to grace. Truth is a gift of grace. Truth without grace crushes people. Grace without truth keeps people in bondage. It keeps them enslaved. And you think you're being nice, but you're not. You're enabling. The Bible's full of it. I know this is painful. I mean, this is some painful stuff here for Saul to listen to. Over here in Proverbs, a quick, quick verse over in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 32. Excuse me, 15 verse 32. It says, those who disregard discipline, those who disregard feedback, those who disregard input from other people, they despise themselves. But the one who heeds instruction, who invites people to point out the reality of their blind spot, they gain understanding. They get wise. So here, uh, last summer, uh, there was a family who came here to Papua for, for the first, second, third time, and they brought their family with them. And their family member who's, who lives out of town uh, wrote a little note about their experience here at Pathway, and I got, I, eventually that note got, always gets to me, stuff like that. And the note was, you know, uh, it was a pretty good experience, but when I was out there out after worship, I saw the speaker talking to people, and it seemed like he was just moving them in and moving them out as quick as he could, and he would listen to some, and somebody really needed some help, but it didn't seem like they really got any help, so I'm not sure, kind of open-ended, and my first thought was, well, Chris must have been preaching that weekend. 
No. <laughs> that, that, that really wasn't my first thought. That really wasn't it. That really wasn't it. That really wasn't it. Uh, my, my, my first thought was, well, that woman, she just decided before she ever came here that she wasn't going to like this church and she, she wasn't going to like me. That was my first thought. My first thought was she doesn't know me. My first thought, she was she didn't know my heart. She, she doesn't know, you know, who I really am. She doesn't know my temperament. She doesn't know all the things I got on my plate and all this. She really doesn't know me. And I did not have to think about that very long or have a strategy session. That was my instant reaction. Anybody else? But I know me. So the next morning when I'm journaling, I'm thinking about that feedback. And I asked, do I ever do what she said? Do I always consistently, genuinely love people with agape love? Do I do that? Am I ever just so focused on my own agenda, my own schedule, what I have to do? Am I ever so free of self, of my own baggage, that indignation against somebody else is ever the right response? Is it? Is it even sane for me to be thinking like this, waffle boy? Are you blind to the truth about you? Here's what I know. In your notes, blind spot, only God knows the truth about me. And only God knows the truth about you. The real truth, the real truth about you. And the Bible says in John 8, 32... Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But can I be honest with you? At first, it's going to hurt. It's going to tick you off. It's going to be painful. But eventually, after it almost kills you, because sometimes the truth, it almost just kills you. It sets you free. It's resurrection. It gives you new life. It gives you new hope. That's the power of the gospel. I have this vision. I have this dream of what I want Pathway Church to be like, what I would like for all your small groups to be like. And by the way, if you're not in a small group, if you want to dive deeper in this thing, because these small groups are going to dive deeper and to really have good, honest conversation about this, you can join a small group right now. You can go after the connection point and say, I would like to be in a small group. I would like to learn and grow during this season of Lent. You can do that. I have a vision for all of our small groups being like this. This is a little book uh, from the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia, I, I encourage it. I highly encourage it. And there's one little story in this one particular book about a young man named Eustace. And Eustace is a little boy that turns into a dragon as a symbol of the dehumanizing that sin does of our soul and our life. It turns us into dragons and we don't even know it. But Eustace, he meets Aslan the lion, that is the crass figure. And this encounter of when he meets this Jesus figure in the story is so powerful. He wants to do more and he's invited to step into the waters that will heal him and cleanse him. And he says, I want to do that. He said, before you do that, you've got to undress. He got confused. 
He didn't know what he meant by undress, but it meant he got to get rid of the dragon skin. So he tried to pull the dragon skin off. He stepped into the baptismal waters, but he still saw the hard scales. He stepped out again, tried to take it all off, stepped into the waters, and he still had scales on. He stepped out again, still stepped back in. Finally, he goes, ah, he goes, ah, in despair. And Aslan said, let me do it. The Christ figure said, let me do it. And here's what Eustace says. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate. So I just lay flat down on my back and I let him do it. And the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. And the only thing that made me able to bear it was the pleasure of feeling the stuff just peel off. You know, if you've ever picked a scab off of a sore place, you know. It hurts like billy-o. But it's such fun to see it coming off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought, I had done it myself the other three times. Only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly-looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had ever been. And then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much now, for I was very tender underneath. I had no skin on, and he threw me into the water. And it smarted like anything before a moment. It smarted. But after that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm And then I saw why I had turned into a boy again. It got me to thinking, what if, what if you, what if I ask God to peel off? the layers of junk and defensiveness and baggage and attitude and stuff I've been collecting all the years. What if? What if in your small group, what if in your family, what if in your workplace, we began to get honest with each other, speaking the truth with grace, about those areas in people's lives. What if, what if, what could could happen, church? I tell you what would happen. You'd experience the miracle of being born again like you never have before. This is what I'm asking of you this Lent. And it's going to be hard. I'm going to ask you that instead of always looking for the faults, the brokenness, and the issues in that person, and that child, and that human being, and that boss, and that employee, and that ex-spouse, and that neighbor, and that, that you would spend the next six weeks just looking inward at you. That you would be willing to look in the mirror and say, God... 
would you show me the truth about my character, about my defensiveness, about my attitude, about my brokenness? Would you please show me the truth about me that I am blind to, that I really need to see? This week, when somebody says a hard word to you, a critical word, feedback you really don't want, would you please... Would you please, instead of just instantly bowing up, getting defensive, they don't know me, they got to be, would you please just kind of back up for a second and go, could there be any truth in that? Could there be something that I need to learn about me? Is there something? Will you do that this week? I'm looking for a head nod. I'm looking for some sort of acclamation that you're not asleep, that you're really with me, okay? Believe it or not, there's kind of a freedom when you do that. There's a freedom. And every once in a while, I've experienced that freedom. It's the freedom of, you know, I don't have to play these games. I don't have to play this role. Hey, I'm a pastor. I got to act this way. I got to look this way. I got to talk this way. You know, fulfill other people's expectations of what they have of me. There's a freedom when you realize that God's going to love you just the way you are, regardless of what those people think. And he'll bring changes in your life. And if they don't like it, it's okay. But it's what God says about you that really matters. And when you get that sort of freedom, It's no longer, hey, just look at my resume. Look at my character. I want you to see how I'm dressed. I want you to see how I walk. I want you to see how I got my act together. You can actually be a person who is humble, and you come before God with soft hands and an open heart, and you say, here I am, God. Here I am. Pull back the layers. Show me the truth about me. Let me be born again. I want to be like Jesus. I just want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be like anybody else. I just want to be like Jesus. I want to be the person my family really needs me to be. The husband, the spouse, the ex-spouse, the ex-son-in-law, the ex-daughter-in-law. I want to be the dad, the human, the other people in my life really need. And I just humble myself and I get soft. Naked before you, God. Can you imagine? There's so much power in that church. You don't know. Here's what I know. Last weekend, I'm looking right here at a couple that stood up here on this stage and they were naked before you. And there was another woman who sat right here who just admitted about her grief and depression. Then there was a man who stood right here and talked about His depression, he almost wanted to take his own life. And he told you the whole story naked. And you sat there and you went, wow, that's awesome. But you know who experienced the miracle that weekend? It wasn't you. It was them. Because they just stood naked before God and said, here I am. Here's where I was. If only you and I, in our marriages, in our families, in our small group, 
could be a safe place where we could all just get naked with our stuff. The miracles that God would do. The marriages that would be saved. Next weekend, I know it's time change weekend and it's spring break. And you're already summer making an excuse and you're not saying, I'm not going to be here. I want to challenge you. You find a way. If you can't be here, to be online, be connected. Because next week we're going to go a little bit deeper on this very important subject. I want to pray with you. Let's get you out of here. I'm going to invite you to pray for a second, maybe. Maybe you want to say, God, okay, this week it's going to be different. With your help, I'm going to stop seeking the truth about everybody else. And God, I want to know the truth about me. The truth about my blind spots. The truth about my baggage and about my brokenness. God, this week, if somebody says something critical on me online or in my face, please help me not to be defensive or offensive but just to see if there's any truth I need to know about me. God, it is my prayer for me and for all my friends here who can hear my voice by the power of your Holy Spirit that what happened between Nathan and David, could you do it once more? Could the voice that wounds us also heal us? You're the man. Hey, waffle boy. Hey, waffle woman. It's you. And then, God, would you take our hands and lead us into the pool of grace, the baptismal waters that both sting and heal. And by your grace, would you set us free to be born again, the little boy, the little girl that you created us to be. you do this, I ask in the name of the resurrected Jesus. Amen and amen. See you next week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.